0: My name is Andy Kelly. Welcome to Waters Edge Church. Today is Sunday, September 11th, and uh, we are continuing a series called Elephants in the Room. Did the Messiah really say that? And we believe the Messiah, the King, is Jesus. We've also been in the book of Matthew for since November of last year, and we're just going through it chapter by chapter, not verse by verse per se, but trying to cover uh, just the book in its entirety while giving us freedom to read some of the stuff we don't cover at home. And in this series, it's the fourth mini-series within Matthew, where Jesus talks about this upside-down kingdom, and he says a lot of things that are hard to receive. And there'll be much that we'll hear today that are just wild verses. We love to quote Jesus. We love the bumper sticker verses. This is my command, love one another. I lay down my life for my sheep. We love the bumper sticker verses. We sometimes ignore or don't even know about some of the harder things that Jesus said, the challenging things, and the the journey for us is to seek to understand and to hear God say what God wants to say to us, what God is saying to us. And uh, as we start our day, just if you're part of our gathering, we love to bless our children. We love to have them with us in the first two songs of worship. And we read the beginning of Matthew 18 over them as a blessing. It says this way, at the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He, Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly or humble position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Here's a question. What is something that makes a child lowly? What is something that makes a child inherently humble? We have a lot of ideas, I'm sure. They're quick to ask for help. They are almost designed to be guided or taught. They're ready at any moment to play. And they're they're quick to name their hurts, their owies. Here's one that we may not think, especially parents. They are comparatively easy to correct. They're distinctively easy to correct. And many parents may say, no, 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 no. But I would argue that they're quicker to correct than, say, most adults. Here's a scenario. Kids are quick to confess. Molly, sweet girl, my daughter, did you hit your brother? No. Yes. They're also quick to know their pain because they're in touch with inside. Well, he took my Legos. He took my Legos without asking, and that hurt my feelings. They're also quick to understand that their actions, whether they're reactive or proactive, are wrong. They're incorrect. Is hitting okay, Molly? No. And in many ways, they're quick to apologize, quicker to apologize than most adults. Will you please apologize? Mackie, I'm sorry. Mackie, will you apologize for taking her Legos? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry I did that. And the beauty of children is they're they're quick to play with a friend, even after there's been a disagreement or even some physical uh, skirmishes. Distinctively easy to correct, easy, agree or disagree, compared to adults, I'm saying. I mean, consider these hypothetical scenarios. Yo, D, did you really work all those hours that you logged in? Well, yeah, man. I mean, they worked me, so I, I logged them. I deserve it. Yo, G, do you think it's okay to have that long and frequent and familiar conversation with your neighbor of the opposite sex when you yourself are married? Dude, it's fine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter I had my shirt off. A, can I see all your DMs on Instagram? No, it's fine. It's all copacetic. T, would you consider the way that you talk to your coworker or your spouse or fill in the blank a bit harsh? No, dude, it's fine. I've worked all day, case closed. I'm just naming that these are conversations that adults can have or don't even have because they don't want to have them. And we're saying specifically with brothers and sisters of Christ. Here's an early on thesis, and we're going to have a couple of theses today. Main idea, one of them, is compared to kids, adults are more resistant to name the pains they've caused and the ca- pains they've received, for that matter. Compared to kids, adults are more resistant to name the pains that they have caused as well as the pains they've received. Children are quick to name their heart the hurt they've caused, and they're quick to apologize faster than I believe adults are. And that takes us into our series. One of the elephant in the room statements that doesn't seem like one, but it feels like one, is that Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins and or sins against you, go on and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. That's, a, that's an elephant in the room statement because a lot of us in the church are conflict avoidant. We're talking about the pain cause of pain hurt and I do think it's a moment where we can pause as it is the 21st anniversary of 9-11, a tragic time for our, our country and a very formative time for a generation, mine included. I'm sure you can remember where you were when this happened. What I want to do is just take a moment to pause all the victims and survivors and loved ones that were lost in that attack as we think about taking moments of silence i think it's also okay to take a moment of silence for any victims of physical attack harm or worse So we pray that familiar liturgy, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. Matthew 18 is undeniably one of the most convicting chapters there is when it comes to how we relate to one another's brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, as I think about this message today, usually I like to pick just a section of scripture. But the tapestry of matthew 18 the way that it all flows so well together i'm just gonna walk through the chapter and give some commentary because i think it matters i think if you highlight one section without understanding what's happening afterwards or happening before you really miss the the beauty of what jesus is communicating and as we talked about earlier there's a humility and loneliness as we process together, especially as it pertains to our interactions and hurts with those within the church. This is undeniably a church conversation, a better yet, a disciple conversation. Jesus is talking about our interactions with one another. Our interactions with one another. Uh, I've been in pastoral ministry for 15 years. It, and when I meet with someone to talk over an issue, it usually involves, almost always involves, some type of unresolved hurt or conflict or pain in a relationship. And a lot of times it's, it's a conflict with other people who are followers of Jesus, stated followers of Jesus. Hurt or pain with someone, sometimes someone's or, or a group. Sometimes it's the church by and large. And I would be lying if I didn't have this conversation with someone in the last 24 hours. Uh, some, it, it, there's hurt received and hurt caused. Rarely is it a one-sided deal. Sometimes it can be. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. And, and as I carry on, I do wanna give one major necessary caveat. Before anything else is stated, if you're a victim of abuse, whether verbal or nonverbal, emotional, physical abuse, sexual abuse, if you're feeling alone or isolated, the rest of this conversation I don't think will make much sense. I, I think we just want you to know we want to help you. We want to help you get help. We want to love you and the offender while creating the appropriate boundaries in order that restorative healing can take place. We want to help you. If, if you're a victim of abuse, I do not need you, I don't want you to start thinking about what you've done wrong. We want to help you. We want to right this situation. We want to, by God's grace, help you right this wrong. We're a small church, but we don't want to discount what's happening behind closed doors. When you hear a message like this about conflict, you may start thinking you're part of the problem. Whatever's said, whatever's happening, if you're being abused, we just want to talk with you and create safe distance for you between you and your abuser. All right, continuing on, that's my end side note. I'm just gonna read Matthew. Jesus says, after he talks about kids, if anyone causes one of these little ones, then he says, those who believe in me to stumble, see now, he, He's transitioning this idea of kids to those who are his disciples, those who believe in me. Not just kids, but you all. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into fires of hell. So as I bring some brief commentary on this conversation, What's with all this self-mutilation talk? Well, two things I want to note right here. As a Jewish teacher who was immersed in the scriptures, the Bible geeks of their day would hear those words, hand, foot, and eyes, and will instantly recall the book of Proverbs. Uh, It's strewn throughout, but here's one example. Proverbs 6, a troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eyes, Signals with his feet and motions with his fingers who plots evil with deceit in his heart. Hold on to that phrase He always stirs up conflict Therefore disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy Just hold on to that idea They'll think about the book of Proverbs and the villain who's commonly described there also as a prophet Jesus is known for using hyperbole We've seen similar language in the Sermon on the Mount. If your eyes cause you to lust, gouge out your eyes. So here are some questions. Can a blind man still lust? Can someone with no legs still lie? See, Jesus, as a prophet, used hyperbole or exaggeration <coughs> at times to practice a philosophy, philosophy called reductio ad absurdum. They used to have taken argument to its illogical conclusion. See, so Jesus takes this conversation to its illogical conclusion so that we can receive the logical conclusion. It's not about, as many writers have written, rolling into heaven as bloody stumps. It's really about God needing to change our heart. We call recall Proverbs 16, 14, the troublemaker villain plots evil with deceit in the heart. That's where it all results from. And so the main thesis of this section is that we need God to change our heart. God needs to change our heart. That should be our prayer. And we can geek out so much more on the passage, but the following needs to say, needs to be said rather, as as followers of Jesus and brothers and sisters in Christ, if we lack humility, if we lack an honesty of our own brokenness, alongside an inability to create space for other people's brokenness, there's no shift in us from the, From what the world dangles in front of us and our desire for that to what God gives freely. If We don't shift or have a shift in our desires to what the Lord offers, which is really life, power, and overflowing love. These are signs that we have not given our heart over to God. And as Jesus remarks elsewhere, to religious leaders for that matter, we could be like them, children of hell, like, Current children of hell, one whose life remains self-absorbed, because that's what hell is. It's a trajectory of a self-absorbed life. Someone who's taken this faith for our own purposes, which is really no faith at all. We need a new heart. That means an inner being, thoughts, emotions, desires, asking the Lord to give us that, to do this work uh, daily and to carry it to completion. Lord, I need a new heart. This is not a call to perfection, it's far from it. It's a call to recognize our imperfections as a community, mine and yours, while coming to the Holy Spirit for renewal. The warning is evident. If we have followers, cause others, those who also follow Jesus to stumble in the faith as well as the world, through our sin and tendency towards manipulation, it would be better to be given a pair of cement shoes, i.e. this ancient millstone and drown in a river. So what's the deal with all this mafia language? we got to remember the heart of God. It's not one to punish. Not one to cause pain. He's one who allows us to choose our own steps. Ezekiel 3.11 says, The prophet speaks, or hears the Lord say, Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? Again, this is about God's conversation with God's people. The Old Testament God, who's the same as the New Testament Jesus here speaking. So with that, I want to bring up an earlier conversation. If you are a follower of Jesus, and I would heed this if you're not, and you are if you're a Jesus and you're abusing someone, if you're molesting someone, manipulating others, the call is to confess and enter into a journey of restoration. Confess, bring it to the light, and enter into a journey of restoration. And, and maybe this is something that you've not done, but you think about doing. You know, many... People start of those who entertain wild thoughts about anger, lust, manipulating others, and you they daydream it over and over without telling others, and later become criminals. It's a gift to have somebody to share your dark thoughts with. I have people like this, and it's helped me continue to run the race. In every case, we at Water's Edge want to help. If you're listening to this, I pray that you would join the community. That said, let's talk about the church. At the heart of a lot of culture today, particularly Christian culture, is a disillusionment with the church today. Uh, It's a disillusionment today in major part of the paternalism In many cases, this Christian patriarchy that's been practiced by church leadership and also notably upheld by the church. It's this guise of leadership infallibility where they hold up this illusion that they are faultless and they end up using this illusion in many ways to control others, which without much thought of their own responsibility of their own sinful desires and sinfulness. We see it time and time again, scandal after scandal. If I as a leader and other leaders as part of our church don't create space for our own brokenness, acknowledge it and are accountable to it, if we don't create space for one another's brokenness, trouble will arise as we sink deeper into the illusion of our own perfection. If we're not a people who are convicted to share our brokenness and create space for others to confess it, that courageous space will will just quickly become a plastic church. So that, that leads to the major call of the sermon is to listen to the Lord and what is something or some things you need to confess. And, and not only that, but what is your plan to do so? Your plan to do so. If anything, read James 5.16. The goal is what Paul says in Ephesians, to bring it into light, and therefore live in God's glorious light. Matthew 18 is an amazing chapter for our church community. It's worth reading. Again, it's a tapestry, and I just didn't feel right. I didn't sense that I, I, I should cut it up or do one part of it. I just thought, man, as a church, as brothers and sisters of Christ, we need to walk through all of this, because together it makes it Brings a lot of clarity to what's being said. It brings a very godly, merciful, and just balance rooted in the Lord's love. So, then the next section in Matthew 18 is about God's pursuit of each person, particularly in the church. When we read Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14, it can look a lot like Luke's parable, of the prodigal son, in Luke 15. In this case, it's not about pursuing those who are outside the church or left their church, which is a wonderful and very true reality. Rather, it's about pursuing our brothers and sisters. One which includes, or many which include, the difficult people. Yeah, the sinners, those we tend to write off. Of course, it's the marginalized and victims, but it's also victimizers. So Matthew 18.10 says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that they are angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will you not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for that one that has wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. The same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Little ones again are those who believe in him. Earlier, see that in earlier, Matthew 18. And, and the principle here, the another thesis, so to speak, as we weave together Matthew 18, is that each person in the church is worth pursuing. Each person in the church is worth pursuing. That is enough right there. Each person, the difficult as well as the pleasant, are worth pursuing. And this pursuit... Continues and what it can look like when conflict arises, Matthew fifteen or 18, verses 15. If your brother or sister sins, your Bible might have a footnote saying some manuscripts say sin against you. Both are worth noting. If your brother or sister sins and or sins against you, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's Deuteronomy. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two or two of you agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. This section is straightforward, but it's also fairly often ignored, especially for the people-pleasers in the church. And many times it's misapplied by leadership in the church. So my pastoral analysis is just to repeat what's said because it's worth repeating. Verse 15, if someone sins or wrongs you, fails to love you, uh, or fails to love others, or is doing something action some action, that is uh, under the category of sin, point out their fault. Talk to them. Talk to them. That's like an elephant in the room, that you would talk to them. And if we are a community of shared brokenness, as I mentioned earlier, this should be fairly uh, a receptive conversation. It should be easy. As a community of shared brokenness, this is a huge point here, another thesis, we talk about our sin with one another. As a community of shared brokenness, we talk about our sin with each other. If we're not a safe place, this can be a very painful process because it's wrought with unhealthy defensiveness, denial, blame, which only exacerbates the pain, especially if the sin is against you. If there's any issue of sin, whether real or perceived, I think it's okay to bring it up to someone. It's loving. And that actually, given the earlier section about pursuing those, pursuing each person, that kind of prefaces it this way. Because I love you, I'm, I'm wondering about this area of your life. I'm seeing this in your life, and I love you. I'm seeing these patterns. Tell me what you think about this. That's actually very loving. If you have someone in your life that will do this with you, thank the Lord. But now let's talk about the misuses of Matthew 18, particularly verse 15. This does not mean that you should enter into what will be a harmful situation. As I've read about church scandals and church leaders, they've used this passage pilessly to put victims in contact with manipulative offenders, particularly manipulative leaders. I would say this. If you know someone is trying to manipulate you and that's part of their sin against you, you've already Matthew eighteen fifteen. If... It seems like an open situation you want to point out. I would say go to them. But if you know they've been manipulative of you and you've been resistant or said no, you've talked about it with them already, I would move to step two. I mean, this the big picture, whether it's a leader or not, if someone is manipulative and tries to make every problem about you, that's an unhealthy person. You'll know this just by trying to talk to someone and they instinctively shut the conversation down. They shut you down or psychoanalyze what they believe it is to be your issue. They make it all about you, which can be a tendency, a temptation for a lot of relationships. But if someone's not willing to own any of their part in conversations past and they seem resistant to do so at any point during the present, I would move on to step two, bringing somebody with you. But again, it's worth noting if we're a community who owns our brokenness and therefore capacity to sin, I have capacity to sin. It's true. Our conversations, the sinners, our conversations can be received with grace as much as they're given in love. Again, I'll say it again. If we're a community who owns our brokenness and therefore capacity to sin, our conversations can be received with grace as much as they're given in love. Hopefully, people who are in sin are open are able to take your thoughts what you pointed out and take them to god if if they do that alone you, you i believe you've won them over they've listened to you as matthew eighteen fifty said even if they need to reflect a bit that makes sense they're going to go to god that's wonderful the lord knows their heart more than anyone conversely if there is no receptivity this will be the next step really is helpful this means you bring someone else that loves you and loves this person. It also means that you have someone in your life that you can confidentially discuss these issues with, uh, particularly the issues of someone else with. Here's what it doesn't mean. When you bring somebody else in, it doesn't mean that this is an opportunity to gossip. You don't talk about people's behavior or general being without their knowing. It also doesn't mean you speculate what's going on in other people's lives with others. This is something you need to be firm on. This also means, and this is a subpoint of gossip, forming a prayer circle about others without their permission. If we think something's going on in other people's lives, there's a temptation in the church to bring others together to pray about it, which that is just targeting them with prayer. That is not prayer. We certainly not pray for what we believe this person's issues are without without that person's permission. It likely means uh, that when we go to the other person, we would go to them, i.e. the third party here, we, we would say, Hey, I have a concern about someone. Um, I'm not going to tell you that person is. I can just tell you that you love that person. And, um, I was wondering if you would partner with me, if you're even open to partner with me in terms of helping this person <coughs> seek reconciliation, restoration, turning towards God, repentance. And if that person says, yeah, I'm open to that, then you can start unfolding. Okay, again, I want you to be completely confidential with this. Please don't bring this to anybody else. I just want to bring this to you so that we can bring this to this person. Then you can share that concern in order to prayerfully discern how to approach this person together. Helpful. I think it honors every person that God, again, believes is worth pursuing. He leaves the nine and nine to pursue the one. This is why we pursue one another. And the beauty of bringing someone else in, especially with manipulated people, is that's God's grace. You don't have to go it alone. You don't have to go it alone. The sin continues and there's no receptivity. The greater church is involved. and that doesn't work, we treat them as a tax collector or a pagan. And So here's a question. What was Matthew, the author of this gospel's occupation before becoming a disciple? He was a tax collector. Did Jesus love tax collectors? Did he spend time with them? He sure did. What did he call them to do? To follow him. If they remain a tax collector and a sinner, are they following Jesus? No. They're not. If someone continues to sin, we have to lovingly understand that they've been given their life full they haven't given their life fully over to God. I gotta say that again. If someone continues to sin, we have to lovingly understand that they have not given their life fully to God. And we have to treat them as such. One who is not a disciple. Yet, the goal in all these things as we close out this chapter is justice and restoration, reconciliation with God. It's not vengeance. If two gather in Christ's name for the work of God's love, mercy, justice, and healing, for the good of all all who's involved, I believe the Lord will carry that work to to completion. It may be hard, real hard, but humility and lowliness will grow us all. And again, the thesis for what will be the entry into our last section of Matthew 18, an amazing chapter, right? The goal is justice and restoration for all, not vengeance. Not vengeance. See, Jesus begins with this visual illustration of a little child, and then he ends with this parable, this uh, spoken illustration that crescendos this conversation in a way that really truly encapsulates the human condition. When it comes to conflict and pain and painful relationships, particularly with one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, some translations say talents, either way this is a lot of money, like a lot of money, probably today be comparable to, to millions, if not more, owed him 10,000 bags of gold and was brought to him. <clears throat> Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he'd had be sold to repay the debt, to repay the debt which is a common practice in that, those days, as a way to pay off debt. It is a means to pay off his debt. That's one thing we have to take note of. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, had compassion on him, canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 coins. This is likely a few thousand dollars in our day. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Can someone, by the way, can someone pay off the debt if they're in prison? No. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his own master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how your heavenly father would treat you, each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So one last biblical comment as we look at this. Uh, Jesus talks about, forgiving 77 times to Peter's offer seven times. Uh, the number seven is, is the biblical number of completion. I could see why Peter said, yeah, seven times. He looked very pious, and Jesus said 77 times. Do you know where else in the Bible the use of seven and 77 is? Anybody know? It's in Genesis 4. In fact, we, we looked at this when we started as a church over a year ago. We It's uh, the continuation of the story of Cain and Abel, where Cain is exiled for the first murder in the the Bible. And Cain has a descendant by the name of of Lamech. Lamech was even more corrupt than Cain. He was the first polygamist in Scripture, and he writes a song about lovingly murdering someone after a confrontation. Genesis 4.23 Lamech said to his wives, plural, Sin is full-blown. Adah and listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. In the Hebrew poetry that is in the beginning of Jesus, Genesis, rather, we are given Lamech, a portrait of the human condition. This is the power of sin, evil, and brokenness in our lives and in our world. It's individual, and it's a social tapestry by which we participate, and it affects all of our socio-political arenas, our entertainment, our work, and our relationships. The key here is, if we are wrong, we want to wrong others more. That's huge. That's the human condition. That you and I, if we're wronged, we want to wrong others more. We want them to suffer more than us. It's within us. It's within me. And that's exactly what happens with this unmerciful servant. Not only does he choke his daddy, something God never does, but he puts him in jail so he's unable to pay back his debt. It's not mercy. It's certainly not justice. This is vengeance. This is 77 times lamex style. This is the nuance of 77. Conversely, to forgive 77 times me means we again need God to change our human condition so that we can learn to offer our offenders by God's power, not our own uh, forgiveness. Learning to forgive them as God forgives them. Learning to forgive others as God forgives them, to give them over to God. Forgiveness doesn't mean a lot of things. It does not necessarily mean a lot of things. Sure doesn't mean becoming a doormat, ignoring or forgetting what's happening. Again, see Matthew 18. Verses fifteen to twenty. This is why you have to read the chapter in entirety. It doesn't mean condoning or excusing, again, see verses fifteen to twenty. It doesn't mean allowing or tolerating abuse, again, see fifteen to twenty. It doesn't mean doesn't really necessarily mean restoration or reconciliation. That also is true in that, that last series, that like if they don't repent, treat them like you would a pagan or tax collector, someone who's not a disciple of Jesus yet doesn't mean things will go back to normal. It doesn't mean our offender is allowed to escape consequences. See Matthew 18, 15 and 20. See also that millstone when we cause others to stumble. What forgiveness means is forgiving them as God forgives them and placing them in God's hands. It's about placing our offenders before God so that mercy and justice and healing could take place. Sometimes they'll walk with us to God. Other times they will not. By the way, we're forgiving them over to God. And, and this is why, ultimately, why we hang out anyway. This is why we get, get together as brothers and sisters Christ to stand before God and to walk with God, to be loved by God and be changed by God, and to love God as a response and therefore love one another, even when it's hard and painful. Amen? Amen.